Yeah, I watch uh, YouTube videos by this guy. One of his YouTube channel is Black Pen, Red Pen. And um, he just does calc integrals. Well, not just. I mean, he does just these calculus problems. And There's a YouTube video for that? That's, all, and all, that's his channel. He just does, he integrates <laughs> functions. He does the number theory stuff. Oh my gosh. See, that's what, that's what we do. Oh, the world of math. The world of math, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Math Neighborhood. I'm John, and I love learning about math. And that's what this podcast is. A chance for me to talk with people doing amazing things with their mind that's in the neighborhood of mathematics. Here's a joke. An engineer, a physicist, and a mathematician were on a train headed north and had just crossed the border into Scotland. The engineer looked out the window and said, Look, Scottish sheep are black. The physicist said, No, no, some Scottish sheep are black. The mathematician looked irritated. There is at least one field containing at least one sheep, of which at least one side is black. Cue laugh track. There's some variants on this joke. One with a statistician who says, it's not significant, we only know there's one black sheep. And one with a computer scientist on the train who says, oh no, a special case. While this joke is hilarious, it also offers something else, something deeper for us to take away from it. Each person brings something different to the scenario, a different perspective. And when teaching math, it's important to have another person's perspective. Specifically, the perspective of someone who is not also a math teacher. This episode of the Math Neighborhood Podcast, I'm talking with my friend Kelly Miller about just that. She's an English and language arts teacher and one of four people on a professional learning community at her school. That's also known as PLC for those of us in the biz. And the other three teachers on the PLC? Yep, you guessed it, math teachers. While her background is in theater, what she brings to the table is expert teaching. She knows her stuff. So the question is, what benefit is there to having a mixed content PLC? While the other three math teachers are experienced, knowledgeable educators, and math whizzes, who in the classroom does not have that experience? Each of their students. So let's talk to Kelly. I'm super excited. I get to have a conversation with my friend and colleague, uh, Kelly Miller. So Kelly, welcome to Math Neighborhood. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> yes. And when it's, yeah, because Math Neighborhood, it's not just math, it's everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Kelly, tell us who Kelly is. Um, well, I'm not a math teacher. I am a teacher and an instructional coach, and I do some consulting. And this year, I am working specifically with a math team in high school um, to help improve clarity, to help improve our, our processes and we examine our impact with students. It's especially exciting because we are teaching through a pandemic, so some of our instruction is hybrid, some of it's virtual. Nothing looks like what we've done in the past, but um, it's, it's really exciting. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm learning a lot about math and, the, and math instruction as I go with this really terrific group of teachers. 
when I'm not an instructional coach for a math team, which is what I'm doing right now this year, I also teach. Right now I'm teaching a class for English learners in high school, and I also do some consulting. I work with a group called the Core Collaborative, also another one called Hinge Education, and we look at building student clarity, making terrific projects that give students the opportunity to transfer their knowledge, creating um, adequate levels of challenge and rigor in the classroom K through 12. So I wear many hats these days, John. You are a busy lady. Yep. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and, that's, um, and that's one of the reasons I, I really want to talk to you about math, because you are not trained as a math teacher. Oh, no, and, I am not. <laughs> and, and I'm choosing those words carefully, because I didn't want to say I wanted a math, uh, a, a, um, I didn't want a, just to phrase it as a non-math person looking at math teaching, because yeah. I feel like everyone's a math person. That's my little... Right, I, I've heard Joe Bowler say, people say, I'm not a reader. Yeah, right. But you wouldn't, we can't say that. People read. Yeah, you know, you I, I'm not, I don't read. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, dear. No, no. So, so but I, that's one of the reasons why I, I like our conversations, because you and I have talked many times about teaching. Yes, we've had many debriefs many after de the school day. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our kids go to school together and they're in a pod together, and so uh, we... When I pick up the kids, there's sometimes at your house, uh, and so we, we talk shop. We do. We, we do. We can't stop. <laughs> we can talk for hours. It's true. But yeah, and that's why I wanted to get your perspective, because you are not trained as a math teacher, but you're working with a group of, of math teachers. Yeah. And I feel like that's a, a great thing for, teacher, for any teacher to do in general, but for math teachers, to have someone uh, from outside that realm looking in and what's happening in the classroom and what they see that we are oftentimes, we could miss. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. And, and honestly, I had, I had some feelings earlier before I began this journey of like, but I don't teach math and you want me to be an instructional coach with a group of math teachers? Um, true story, I come from a long line of bookkeepers and accountants and oh, I right. love a good spreadsheet. But what do I have to offer a team of math teachers who are already, by the way, quite skilled? And um, this journey over the past few months has been a great example of how valuable it is to bring somebody in with an outside perspective because I notice things they're not thinking about and they know that things are important that I would never would have considered. So we bring some diverse skills to the team whenever we're communicating and whenever we're making our, planning our next steps and looking at our impacts that um, have taught me a lot about um, coaching coaching really skilled teachers, and I think does also bring some, um, some new perspective to the table. When you have somebody in the room who does not teach the same thing as you, they will notice different things, which is yeah, also right. valuable because students don't come to the class with the same expertise that a teacher does. They come to the class as students. Maybe they're definitely not blank slates, but some things that we think we're being really clear about because we've said them for the past 10 years when we've been teaching the same class for 10 years, it's the first time that student has heard it. And sometimes um, it's brand new to them and we need to be more clear. Yeah. And teachers, we will teach the same class a few times. And yeah. now with the, with the hybrid model or the, the schedule we have here where it's, some people are teaching the same class 12 times, or maybe oh 12 my times, gosh. like 10 times. 10. You can teach the same yeah. lesson 10 times before yeah. you are done. And, and just to give everyone a frame of reference for that, we have a morning cohort and an afternoon cohort. Mm -hmm. So if you have, like for me, for example, I have three 
Math 3 classes, which means I have a morning cohort of period one and an afternoon cohort. So I've got them I'm teach that lesson or say the same thing six times. And do I say all the same thing six times or, or do I miss it? So I, I bet I by I the time your afternoon third cohort comes through, you've got it dialed in. Dialed in and also... Did I say, did I tell you guys this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do that as well with my English learners. Yeah. Like, did, I, did I say this this morning or not at all? <laughs> yeah, right. Did, hang on. Did I tell you that fact or not? Yeah. Yeah. So on top of, of all that of all that other stuff you do, you also teach some stuff too. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. My, my background is in teaching content core English. And this year I'm teaching English learners and at my site in particular, that means that I'm teaching students who have been in our country for usually three years or less. And speaking of bringing interesting and varied perspectives to the table, my students come from another country. They speak another language, sometimes multiple other languages that are not English. Um, they are learning to be bicultural as they are learning English in our schools. And it's, I'm so lucky to get to teach this group of students. It is, I'm, I'm lucky as a human because I, my students are just fascinating and I feel so lucky to get to know them. And also as a professional teaching in schools that are probably going to continue having English learners for as long as we're in education. For a while, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, being able to really, really see where they struggle and why they struggle and, and put a lot of emphasis on that because this year this is the these are the only students that I am teaching um, really sheds a lot of light on on what's important and and why some things that we we think we probably need to do like teaching about the language of a sentence in math or a sentence in history or a sentence in science can actually really help even though you don't speak that student's home language being explicit in how a sentence is shaped and formed in your content area um, sounds like a nice to do, um, but I see more and more as I work with my students how helpful that is. And also how helpful it is to give any student opportunity to, to put in just as much as they are taking out of class. Like, you mean having the kids put in? Yeah, like, like where are you from? What do you like? Thing. I need to use a picture. Can you grab a picture? Um, I've been learning so much about my students from, from just leaning on them to, to put forth in class. And that's a challenge because we are teaching, most of my students are learning virtually right now. Some of them are learning virtually from their hometowns in another country, which is super cool. Um, oh, so they're, they're not in town. They're some, of, some of them have had family emergencies. Some of them yeah. have had to fly home for unexpected reasons. And in a, I think in a normal classroom environment, when that happens, they just don't show up. And they're showing up. They're they're zooming in in a two-hour time from. difference. Yeah, a, a truly international class right now. It's so cool. That's kind of that's really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. One of my students is in Germany right now. What? Yeah, and he I I only learned this in the last week of school <laughs> or last two weeks of school, and and because we were trying to set up a time to to meet to talk uh, talk about some 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 assignments. Yeah. And yeah, he's he's from Germany. So I was like, hey, would this time work? No, that's uh. I'm asleep at that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wild time difference. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Kelly, you said something about um, uh, about the language structures, and mm. you come from that background in terms of, like you're trained to kind of think in that way, uh, and that's what you do with your with your students. Yeah. 
So what are things that you've seen or you've brought to your, your, your math PLC that they might not have seen? So some examples of, of that. Oh, it's so nice that you think we'd have all the time in the world to do that, John. <laughs> um, or I, I guess the question is more about what do you see, what are you seeing that your math PLC teachers are, are not seeing? That's a great question. So, so one great thing that I saw that I did share with them is that our, our work this year at, at my school, but especially with this math team, is, is around clarity. Like, can we at least be clear on we know exactly what we're teaching, we know what success looks like, and can we make sure that our students are clear on what they are supposed to be learning and what success looks like, and if they haven't gotten there yet, what their next steps are. So, um, and that, that's not something that we just made up. That comes from research upon research upon research that no matter where your students are, if they are very clear about what success looks like, it has potential to double the rate of their learning. So it's a, it's a, it's a worthy task. And it seems, it almost sounds like a no-brainer too. It's like, it should be clear. <laughs> right? Like, your directions ought to be clear. Yeah, and, and as a teacher <laughs> in the classroom, I think, Oh yeah, that seems like a no-brainer until I realized after two weeks of instruction that I just sent my students down, uh, you know, three different paths, and they needed to stay on one. And here I thought I was being clear. I know this is really important, and sometimes even I have to take a step back and go, "Oh shoot, my students were were chasing three different dreams. They needed to chase one because this is what we're learning right now." Um, but to bring that back to the math team is something I. Um, was just so excited about earlier this year is that I was talking with my English learners and we just had one-on-one -on -one conversations. They were very quick in breakout rooms during our virtual session. And I asked them in what, what class was their hardest right now? Where were they struggling? And then I also kind of for a personal inquiry, but also to give them the opportunity to, to articulate what was going on. I asked, what are you learning in that class right now? And in a perfect setting, anytime you ask a student, what are you learning? They should be able to tell you. Now, we know that students get really distracted by homework, projects, grades, group work, and or, or just the con context of what they're learning that in. You know, are they doing some cool projects so they're like talking about the cool rocket ship to the moon that they're building rather than I'm learning about physics. So I was really excited when I asked my English learners at the very, very beginning of a virtual school year, what are you learning in math? Because most of them said math was their their most difficult subject. Mm -hmm. And all of them in math one were able to tell me right off the bat, I'm learning about integers and equations. And That's, I thought, there you go. this is and a perfect could... example of, of how clear you need to be. That, that's your measurement. Can you be so clear that a student that barely speaks your language can at least tell you what they're going after right now? That was a, a huge success for us early in the year and also very validating for me and my students to be able to have a conversation about learning um, very early on when, when they didn't have a close relationship with me, they didn't have a close relationship with their other teachers, but at least in that one content area, they were, they were super clear on what they were learning. This episode of the Math Neighborhood Podcast is brought to you by Geometries, the only trees mathematicians will climb. Geometries. And yes, there's more than one geometry.
And as far as, as what I see specifically is teaching English learners that the other teachers who might have just a few English learners in their class and the rest of them are, are native English speakers. Um, when I've taught classes like that, I know I might have, let's say, 150 students and maybe four of them don't speak the language that well. Well, those four students are going to be pretty quiet in class and I'm not going to like break myself over it because I have 146 other students that I can more or less figure out how to engage and I, I can put my effort into that. Right now, since I'm only teaching English learners, those students who are quiet in class all day because they're nervous about speaking out, they don't have the language skills exactly to articulate what's going on and, and and by all means, it doesn't mean that they can't understand what's going on. They just don't have the language to put it out there and like answer a question in front of the class or, yeah, or right. put their answer into the chat box right now. Um, I see how important it is to make a very, very safe space for students to share what they're learning. And um, in, in as a language arts teacher, you learn pretty early on about the importance of sentence starters, which I know when I was a very new teacher, I thought, but that's cheating. I can't give the kids <laughs> half of the sentence and then they only fill in the blank for the last like five words. But what I learned um, early on as a teacher is that, yeah, my, my students just wouldn't answer or wouldn't even try if they didn't mm. feel like part of it they knew for sure they'd be successful with because I set that up for them. So I do that right now with my English learners and that helps them understand how how should this sentence look in English? How should it sound in English? And that way they're not wrestling with the language. I've done that part for them. And the content of like, well, if for example, if I ask them, how are you gonna take care of yourself over break? They wouldn't be able to just spit right back at me in English. I'm gonna take, take care of myself mm -hmm. over break by um, you know taking a walk, taking going on a nice hike. Yeah, they need a little help. Yeah, I have to help set that up for them, and then they, 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 the last few words are there. So I see now that in a history or a math or a science class, that there are ways you can, as a teacher, you, you can set those students up to be able to share or to talk or to chat, use the chat function mm -hmm. in class. Um, but it does take a little bit of time. Like you have to set that up for those students, and it doesn't mean that you're cheating or yeah, that they're right. cheating. It means that you've you've scaffolded and you've kind of lift, lifted up. And you're intentional about it. Yeah. yeah. It's not just, do it. Do what I said. It's like you said it out there, like this is what I want you to yes. start your sentence with this and then you fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And having an example of what that looks like and yeah. what that sounds like is essential. And I know this sounds very heady, but you often hear like, well, if it's good for those learners, it's good for all learners. But that's probably true. How <laughs> yeah. much safer sure. do you feel if you've already seen and heard an example even as a native English speaker, that like, oh, I know exactly how it's supposed to sound. Now I feel like maybe I can I try can it do myself. That. You get build confidence in what they are. They they realize, oh, I already that's that you're asking for. Like, yeah. Like I see that in my math classes where a student will be struggling with the subject or content, whatever, some some I don't know, logarithms or whatever. Yeah. And and then uh, finally it'll click and it'll say, wait, that that's what you want me to do? That's it? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and then, then they feel, right? then, and then they say, oh, I feel so stupid. I'm like, no, you're not, no. It, it, yeah. No, just 
it just takes time. And right, we're learning. We're learning. This is this what is, learning is. You, congratulations, you learned. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, and that, that kind of goes back to this concept of clarity and and giving examples to students and making it really clear what you want, so they're not having to guess and doing that in an ELD classroom and doing that in a math classroom, um, you're using different symbols, words, images, maybe yeah. to, to be clear, but putting an example in front of students so they don't have to go, oh, wait, that's what you wanted that's me to it? do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, seems really easy, but like I know I know I still have to train myself to do it so that it's a habit. Yeah. Well, also, it also models we're also as no, we're not just teaching content as teachers. We're modeling thinking, and we're modeling. I don't want to toot our own horn, but <laughs> we're expert think. We're modeling right. expert thinking. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, it, you know, in math, we do. You know, here's here's a worked example. Yeah. Uh, on, yes. Like, it, this is, and you can see the steps here, or here's. I mean, there's there's a actually one part of my uh, my master's thesis was on oh. worked examples. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> um, but it was a but. The point being, like, you give students some guidance, and then you gradually take little bits of information away right. from the example, and then right. they fill those in, because it shows them the thought process that goes into solving a, solving a problem. Yes. Which I think is analogous to what you're talking about with your sentence starters. It's like, they need a little guidance. How do I start this yeah. phrase? How, do I, how can I take what's in my head and find a concrete way to put it out there. Absolutely. And I think there's that's something that again, I, I know oftentimes math teachers we forget to not forget we we think oh this is, this will be so easy to get yeah like we can just oh you can skip this you can skip this step or two steps <laughs> yeah and it doesn't work uh, yeah especially when if if you consider the further kids get from kindergarten the larger the gaps are in what one student in your class might know as opposed to another student in your class. I've been looking at... Wait, say that again? So, so the further kids get from kindergarten, the larger the gaps get between your students. Like, uh. um, So the further that kids get from kindergarten, the more they are supposed to have learned if they're you know, keeping on pace, whatever that means. Um, so by the time kids get to high school, I'm looking, for example, at just like a screener test that our district recently did. And it is really common in a math class to have some students that are operating at a third grade level, as well as students that are operating at an 11th or 12th grade level. So when a student, I mean, when a teacher, and, and I've definitely done this myself, says, well, you can skip that part. You already know how to do that. Actually, no, they, they might not. And, and so when we can be explicit and put it out there and put examples in front of students so they see it, it's, it's one way to kind of fill in that blank of, wait, what am I supposed to do here? Yeah, right. I actually can't skip it. I'm still working at like a fourth grade level. And even the kids who, who, who might get it or they have it, I think it's still going to benefit them. It's just to further solidify their understanding. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I got this. Yeah. And I think it also would help them because they don't realize, oh, all this stuff we've been learning is building upon itself. So, yeah, like it gives, I don't, which, I don't know how to put this exactly, but it gives... Um, power to the system that in which they're learning like yeah. that they're building upon yeah. what they've learned before yeah it validates like what you learned in fifth grade like like, like yeah. it was good and you still need it it's yeah. still gonna it help you doesn't go away yeah
Another sponsor for this episode of the Math Neighborhood Podcast, Right Triangles. While they're not acute, at least they're not obtuse. Right Triangles. In fact, I found that this is like reaching reaching back years, but um, I found that when I first started showing my students, like if, if we wanna dig deep into ideas about clarity and success criteria for your students, so you kind of put out for them like a roadmap about this is what you have to do to be successful. Um, I've, I've seen that done many ways. There, there's no one way to, to get students clear on what they're learning. But what I found worked really well is when I broke it down into levels of learning and I would show my, this is my eighth grade English students back in the day, that this is what success looks like, like at a surface level. And this is what it looks like at a deep level when you're starting to show relationship and make connections and compare and contrast. And what we're really trying to do with anything that we learn is to be able to transfer it to a brand new context. Like that's nice if you can learn Let's speak the language of English first, and then I'll go to math in a yeah. minute. That's great if you can learn how to write an essay about Martin Luther King. But can you take these essay writing skills and could you apply them to a new context to something totally different? But whenever I was able to show my students that the surface level success criteria, like, hey, if you can at least do this, then you're on the road. That was when I saw my students who a lot of a lot of whom had learning differences, um, special ed or an IEP or a 504 something like that. Those were the students that I saw for the first time um, look at what I said success meant and be able to point to something and say, well, I know I can do that. I bet I could do that like tomorrow if I needed to. And, and building those students up and letting them see like this too is important. Like if you're gonna write an essay, you need to know how to write a sentence. And they were like, well, yeah, I can write a sentence. And I think that kind of speaks to in math, not skipping the parts that the teacher says are easy or you already know how to do this. Because for students that are just a little bit below where you want them to be, seeing the parts that, that maybe a teacher thinks is easy and being able to say, this is important. And if you can do this, then you can at least start. Um, feels really good. I think it adds some, it loans some dignity to um, what you're doing in the classroom and how you're, you're treating students. And so, yeah, I, I do think that not skipping can both help instructionally, but also kind of help with psyche to make people and students feel good, feel like there is something here that I can do and it counts. All right, Kelly, last question. Okay. What, in seven words or, or fewer, <laughs> what is math? Well, I, I'm going to admit that I cheated, and I thought, I'm going to ask one of the math teachers in, in my PLC, <laughs> what would they say? Just so that I would have, you know, kind of a, a, a model to follow. Yeah. So I'll tell, I'll tell you what um, a really great teacher on our team said, and then I'll tell you what I said. Okay. Really great teacher on our team. Her name's Aubrey. Shout out to Aubrey. said that, Math is the study of patterns and quantities. Okay. Study of patterns and quantities. Yeah. Five words, sounds beautiful. This is why she's the math teacher and I'm not. Um, my definition, and I stretched it, I got exactly to seven words. 
<laughs> making sense of the unknown with numbers. Mm. I like both of those. those. I think those are both very apt descriptions of what math is. Oh, good. Well, no, and, and it's because I don't think math is, it's not a one, I don't think it's a right or wrong answer. Because I, I like that one. Uh, it is making sense of things, it is making sense of the world around us. Well, and things that you don't know yet. Like I, I see so much now how basic algebraic equations are everywhere. Well, how much flour do I need to add to this recipe if I've changed everything else by a third? Or looking at rates and slopes, like how this is kind of a morbid comparison, but how are counties deciding when they might reach 15% ICU capacity and therefore need to uh, shut down the county, put in a stay-at-home order. Well, they're looking at rates. They're looking at change over time. Like this is this is basic math, and you're solving for something you mm. don't know, so that you can make good decisions moving forward. So that's where my seven words come from. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, John. This is so fun. Yeah, Kelly Miller. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to this this afternoon to talk to me about this. Super stuff. fun. I yeah. sure appreciate it. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks, Kelly. All right. Thank you. When you're getting your credential, you get observed. Lots. And that's a good thing. You have the teacher in his classes, you're the head honcho. You have professors from your credentialing university. I went to Sonoma State. Go Seawolves. And of course, the most important observers, the students in the classroom. I still think back to what one of my professors told us soon-to-be math teachers about how to prepare for and what to expect from her observations. She said, now, I'm not a math teacher, but if I don't know what's going on in the class, the students won't know what's going on in the class. While she admitted she's no math whiz, she is a thoughtful adult who can pick up what's going down. Yes, there'll be prerequisite knowledge that you need to know in order to complete the activity successfully, but you don't need to be a math whiz to understand the directions so that you can learn the math content. If I'm talking math with my fellow math teachers, we can understand what's happening in some scenario. We know the steps needed to solve a certain equation, how to model a real-world phenomena with a function, whatever. But we're not teaching math teachers. We are teaching students who've never learned it before. It's easy to assume that the best teacher will be the most skilled person in that thing. The best math teacher will be the most advanced and skilled mathematician. The best welding instructor will be the most skilled welder. The best basketball coach will be the most skilled basketball player. But that's not the case. The person who's most skilled will oftentimes take their skill for granted. I do this all the time, they'll say. It's easy, just do this one thing. But to deliver that information to someone else takes more than that skill itself. That's not to say that if you're highly skilled in something, then you can't teach it or you can't be a coach in it. But to deliver that to someone else so they can understand it takes some effort. It takes seeing it from a student's perspective. In the case of teaching math, it takes talking to other teachers outside of math about how to teach it. Kelly works with three math teachers at her high school. And each of those teachers probably has in the ballpark of 150 students each, give or take. 
That's roughly 450 mines. To have another adult in the room, another expert teacher in the room, that's going to help those teachers so they can be more clear with their instructions. And it's going to help the students because those instructions will be more clear. Is that clear? Thanks for listening to the Math Neighborhood Podcast. I'm John. Please subscribe so you'll get the latest episode on whatever device you listen in on. Rate us on iTunes. That never hurts. And if you have a question for me or want to talk math, shoot me an email. Mathneighborhood at gmail.com. Math Neighborhood. Everyone's welcome. <laughs>